Father, I've come to ask you to bless me. you'll have God's blessing. If you're wrong, my blessing won't mean anything. If might is right, and love has no place in the world, maybe so, maybe so. But I don't have the strength to live in a world like that, Rodrigo. podcast exploring faith and fear, what scares us and what saves us. This is The Fear of God. Hello, and welcome back to your favorite podcast at the intersection of faith and fear where every week we discuss what scares us in order to find what saves us. And this is the fear of God. Speaking to you right now is one of your hosts, Nathan Rouse, and typically with me is fellow co-host Reed Lackey. And he was, he was here, but he seemed a little annoyed at me and suggested that he'd been trying to tell me that he was in love with Philippe for six months, but I just wouldn't listen. And I mean, guys, it's been a wild year. I can't remember every single thing Reed has said. It's he, he talks a lot. There's a lot to remember. Um, I, I hope we can patch things up. I'm sure it's totally fine. In the meantime, allow me to welcome you back into What Saves Us, a series featuring films and media that nurture your wonder, that invigorate your awe, that enrich your humanity, that are saving you now. Last week, we trekked through the fire swamp with John Vinalas and discussed the Princess Bride. What a fun time that was. This week, we'll serve our penance with our brothers in the mission. But I'm getting ahead of myself because here at the Fear of God, we explore. We don't explain, except for right now, when I explain that you can find every fog and fear of God thing imaginable at our website, thefearofgodpodcast.com. Things like essays, team bios, episode archives, merch. Read! Hey, hey, buddy. I'm, I'm sorry that I didn't hear you with your expression. Ooh. Mm. You know, Reed, I had that on while I was making dinner for my family this evening. That is, it, it, it's beautiful. It's a stunning piece of amazing 
work. And then like, of course yeah. it happened to be at one of the, the choral moments, you know, which is a little, mm. a little movie soundtracky. And yeah. grandma walked through the room and she's like, what's this? Like, you know, <laughs> like it's just, just a soundtrack grandma. This is, yeah, I get it. I get it from yeah. a movie, from yeah. a movie. Um, Good Lord, that score though. No, oh, we will, is. we will get to it. Hi man. Hey, it's hey, good buddy. to talk to you this week. Yeah. It's good to, yeah. Um, here we are. So, yeah. So Back here we it. are. It's November. Um, that's Bogoween. right. Bogoween. We had a yeah. grand old time. So that was, oh man. Hell of a so, party. So, so amazing. <laughs> so awesome. Um, so I don't have at the moment any particular burning bit of business. Um, so you? No. But in the ongoing sort of funny nature of linguistics and business being a reference to BMs, that was a really funny way you said that. So, yeah. Yeah. Somebody it's put the diarrhea in you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no burning business at this oh, time. Oh, no. <laughs> <clears throat> Ladies and gentlemen, we invite you one more time to the old Richmond for the old Richmond Greyhounds. Hopefully you've stopped by Mays for a pint or two. And uh, we are inviting you into episodes three and four of season two of Ted Lasso. Welcome back to hashtag TV guideposts. Reed. Thank I don't you. know if I don't know if I'm the Higgins to your Rebecca or vice versa or you're the beard to my lasso, but I do want to tell you you are a boss ass bitch. <laughs> that is <laughs> so great. That's the word I got for you, brother. <laughs> it is amazing. Gosh, um, that is amazing. It is here so we cool. are in well, episode three of season mm-hmm. welcome of season two. I meant that sincerely. It wasn't just a jokey way to reference the show. I could tell. Um, I could tell. Uh, ep- episode three, do the rightest thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, nice little Spike Lee nod. Um, yes. And how how are, how are you? How's how's season two treating you? So um, lead Racky, lead Racky. <laughs> so I will say that like that's a funny little bit. Like it's it's you know like it's a funny little excursion, and it's a bit on the nose for my flavor of 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 Ted Lasso or Led Tasso. It is as it is. Um, I, I enjoy it. I like the joking. I like when he's like, "Now touch your toes. Now touch each other's toes." Like you know, like I just. <laughs> He's like, what muscle is this working? You shut up. You know, like, it's just really, it's really, really funny. Um, So I like that. But I really love in this particular episode, just what they do with specifically what they do with Jamie in this episode. Really, um, I enjoy it a lot. Boy, the poor guy. Sorry, who? Jamie. 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 He tries to apologize. And I just think it's wonderful. Like, when he tries to apologize and they start saying the things that he's done that are grievances. Mm-hmm. Oh man. It's yes. And then I love that. Like, Oh my gosh, I've forgotten his name and I didn't write it down. The the guy from Holland, the Dutch guy, yeah, yeah. He, mm-hmm. he stands up. He's like, I Little don't know Dutch you, boy. but I don't like you. Yeah. <laughs> it's just so great. Um, but so well, yeah. you, you invoked uh, uh, our favorite tart and Oh my God, the scene of him doing his leg exercises during practice is just that. hysterical. It's so funny. <laughs> It is like, so funny the commitment they get out of him. I know Ted's just waiting for him to get there, and he's just like, "No, no, take your time." Oh, that's good. Yeah, I wish I could <laughs> to be young again, or whatever it is he says. <laughs> Man, it's so great. Mm. Oh, yeah, I'm awesome. with you. I mm, Led Tasso is very direct. It's like, okay, y'all. Okay, yeah. I mean, it's yeah. it's funny. 
but it's it a lower common denominator than Ted Lasso usually gives us. Honestly, yeah, like it's just yeah. it's not offensive. It's not an offensive no. gag. Well, it's it's just no. Uh, that's strong. That's a strong word, Reed. I know, but that but that's what I mean by in terms of like lowest common denominator. Like it's not like it, I, I don't know that I'd go so far as to call it cheap, but it is. It, I mean, it's uh, it, it, the cookies are on the bottom shelf, or maybe the oh, second, yes. second they're on the, bottom the floor shelf for them. They're on yeah. the floor. They, but they got set on the floor. They're on the like, floor. Somebody has we're not doing mopped. this. Yes. No. Exactly. No. Now um, you know what is funny is uh, Charles Edgar Cheeserton the <laughs> third. <laughs> that oh is funny. Also funny is that Jamie Tart is a Muppet, and I hope he dies from the incurable disease of being a little bitch. <laughs> that is a great Roy Kent line. <laughs> so I love Roy Kent on his pundit job, like. In total, like I just think he is hysterical in that bit. Like I love when he's, he's looking at him, he's like, and Roy Kent, and then they lean over to him, and Roy just looks up at him and just kind of grunts. It's just, oh man, it's delightful. I love that feeling of a show discovering what it might not have known it had mm-hmm. in um, Brett Goldstein's Roy Kent. Like, yeah, because oh he's gosh. one of those who, when you start the series, it's been a minute since I watched episode one or one or two or those that first flurry like yeah you know he's part of the crew sure but he quickly rises to the top as yeah a character of great significance and just well in those first couple of episodes you almost think he's going to be another antagonist like sure because the way he comes off and and he hurls one of the first really direct painful insults at ted in the you know ronald effing mcdonald line mm. um and so you kind of think oh he's going to be a problem but from the moment ted kind of says the first domino that's got to fall has got to fall in that guy's heart you immediately sort of come around to a different sentiment about roy and boy it just it just all uh goes 90 miles an hour from there he's just an amazing character okay let me ask you this Mm -hmm. do you have a whole lot else about episode three um i've got well, I did want to mention because I mentioned the Jamie thing. So one thing that is worth noting is so Sam's dad is upset about Dubai. So mm-hmm. Sam creates the protest. And I did love, and it, it got me emotional this time around too, that it's like the Nigerian members of the team out of solidarity mark out Dubai Air. But then when Jamie does it on their shirt, yeah. Yeah, on their shirt. And then when Jamie does it, I just love it. He's like, hey, throw me the tape. And then he's like, we're, we're a team. Yeah got to wear the same kit like i just i I love everything about that moment Mm -hmm. i think it's it's a wonderful moment for jamie tart it's a wonderful moment for that episode and the show and and solidarity and everything it's just it's fantastic so i did want to mention yeah no no, i I do think it's worth noting i will say i think a strength in other words uh, this makes sense in a second i think a strength of ted lasso the show is its willingness to stare in the face of real world sports kind of controversy or, mm-hmm. or what have you you know because because yeah. the the sam aspect is very much to me how i read it is very much a kaepernick sort of moment for the show yeah. um in terms of activism in a professional athletics segment since and then uh the show this season will also get to a uh let's talk about mental health and sports kind of thing which right. which predated exactly. uh gabby douglas in the olympics but very much is in the spirit of that um right. do you mean simone biles 
Yes, that is who I mean. Okay, sorry. I thought I thought she Gabby did. Gabby Douglas is did. a gymnast, right? She yes. is, and that's yeah, why yeah. I wasn't I wasn't sure exactly for a right. moment. Yep. Okay, I wasn't sure for a moment if something else had happened with Gabby Douglas that I did not remember, but I knew Simone Biles was, I mean, which may have been. I was going to say possibly, but yes, but yes. exactly. Simone Biles and Olympics is what I was referring to. Got it. Um, thank you for that clarification. Um, stupid but valiant read. Uh, wow. <laughs> no, I really am appreciative of that. Um, so, so I do appreciate that aspect of it. It is maybe stronger, more strongly played than perhaps it could be at times, but I do like it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm with you. That one ends strong. You cool to go to four? Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm good. So, so episode four, Carol of the Bells. Now, this was an interesting one for me the first time around okay. because, like I talked about last week, like it is just a different experience watching this week to week. And sure. There is a world where this one in the rhythm of watching it, the fact that it is also Christmas set just felt real. Like, I don't, what, what are we doing right now? (laughs) Um, But I'll say this on this rewatch, this episode specifically, like if you let it, it really will do some work on you. Uh, Mm -hmm. It is, it, it is the, aspirational fantastical ted lasso at its peak i mean it mm-hmm. literally ends with a santa claus sighting yeah oh yeah and and yet in in the way we talked about on princess bride making magic in the world i'm like i'm kind of thankful it exists i'm thankful oh yeah that it just kind of goes for broke with the sentiment and doesn't really care about yeah. your cynicism mm-hmm. uh, and on top of that has an incredibly hysterical Roy through line story. Oh I mean, man, that one is my God delight. Yes, it is really wonderful. Um, I will say about it, like, well, I would echo everything that you just said, except that I was fond towards it from first viewing. Sure. Yeah. First first viewing, I think I was somewhat in the minority. I think most people were like, eh, okay, you know, but I was very much like, oh my God, I'm this, I'm gonna cue this up in December and watch right. it in an isolated right. piece because you kind of can. And it's just, it's, it's really great. It's like a side trek for all these. Can I, can I jump in on that? Sure. So, so it's funny you say that because yeah, I think a lot of it is about how primed you are for what it's seasonal aspect is, but it's so funny. Our, our niece locally is a big Lego fan, much like our family is. And recently she sent me pictures because she had completed, there's like a new Lego elf set or something and, and she completed it. Not this, um, we are recording right now at the end of October, but this was about even two weeks ago. And I, I, I texted back. I was like, come on, man, let me, let me, let me have Halloween first. And, um, <laughs> so sure enough today I was watching Carol of the bells, this episode. And I was like, okay. Yeah. Oh man. You know, it's, it's like, awesome. it's like yeah. Halloween yeah. is starting at least as we're recording literally right now, we're two days out, uh, three days out. And so it's starting to resolve itself. And so yeah, just yeah. the the music of this episode, the sentiment of the episode, the perennial nature, the evergreen quality of it. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Was, yeah. So I really love that. And I would say on that, that objectively speaking, the Higgins family Christmas with everybody showing up is one of the loveliest things this entire series gives us. Like all of the players just showing up at the Higgins household and them all sharing the big nerf battle and all of the from all around the world and the the speech Leslie makes about the family we you know choose versus the family we have and um it's just 
it's really, really wonderful. And I love that. That warmed my heart uh, both times watching this episode through. And I just, I'm, I'm, I'm really, I'm really endeared to this entire enterprise. Uh, yes, it doesn't do a ton to progress the story forward, although it is worth noting and in this ongoing thread of how pretty much every episode drops a nugget about the arc of Nathan Shelley. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the episode in which he gives Ted yep. the photo uh, that yep. will be referenced uh, with significantly more pain as- associated with it later in the season. Um, but yeah, so if for nothing else, then that progresses things kind of forward. But otherwise, I just, man, I just, I, I, I adore this little bottle episode and uh, yeah. And it just, it well, heart. and, and to your point and a few, a few notes before we uh, depart uh, Richmond is that again, like, like with lavender and, and I'll, I'll own it. Like my, I can't promise that at the end of this watch of season two, I will have dramatically changed my feelings about it but I am seeing the work they did do to earn mm. where it all goes. So like titling episode, I think it was two lavender. I mean, Keely to Phoebe in this episode says problems are like mushrooms. The more you leave them in the dark, the more they grow, which is mm. literally mm. the arc of Nate Shelley in this season. Yes. absolutely. And so you got that. Uh, but I, I can like, the Roy stuff in this episode, that storyline is some of the funniest stuff in perhaps the season, but the it's amazing. His Brett Goldstein's expression when he smells Phoebe's breath <laughs> is is unbelievable. He's trying hard not what to have an say? aneurysm. Did he say you it smells like you died or did you are you dead? Like oh, you're dying. So yeah. <laughs> it is so funny. And then you may be dying. Late, <laughs> late in the episode when she is, um, you know, they're knocking on these doors trying to find a dentist, and uh, uh, they've they've hit one door. She's trying to throw up a boundary, saying, "I think I'm done. I'm embarrassed." And he says, "Embarrassing is eating so much ice cream, knowing oh. I can't handle dairy that I poop my pants." And Keely just says, "Finish it." And he says, three weeks ago." I mean, it's. <laughs> So, so funny. Good. And the little boy at the door. You oh, he's one me too. Yeah. Let's both try to knock that off, shall we? <laughs> <laughs> and and as a last note, but it's a perfect thematic note for not just the series, but this episode and and what it echoes out through the whole show is their um oh, what is that? Love actually, which I've never actually seen, yes. but I just know. Yeah, yeah, yeah the, the that nod scene that it has in right, pop culture right. uh phoebe's love actually moment at the end where her final i think one of her final cards is i forgive you but please do better i'm like that's, yeah mm-hmm. that's the show you know which is another you know and that's another it's worth noting do better is not the last time that pair of words will be spoken uh and i think that's another you know, I mentioned last week how change and challenge is 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 sort of the buzzwords I'm saturating around my thoughts around the season so far as I'm trying to assess it. And uh, you know, do better is something that will come up again. Um, and uh, so, yeah, even in these just these little subtle moments, uh, yeah, love it, I love it so much. <clears throat> well, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> It's almost Christmas time. 
It's almost Thanksgiving. Those of you who want your Thanksgiving first, feel free. But I hear some jingle bells. I hear some sleigh bells ringing. I hear a growing sound of music in the distance. Like, oh my, this is, uh, I'm somewhat befuddled. <laughs> The commitment just keeps going. <laughs> Next thing you know, like just like in a couple more seconds, you're just dancing around the room yeah. that you're in, like. Oh, it's great! Oh, it's so awesome! Oh, it's making it great. So, um, yeah, we climb the waterfall. Yeah. So the film that we're doing today is uh, was submitted to us by uh, regular interactor with us in the in the social groups and the facebook groups etc um ernst mantler submitted this piece to us um the film directed by roland joffe uh written by robert bolt and starring robert de niro and jeremy irons and a very young liam neeson um mm -hmm. it is uh the mission and so i'm gonna before we dive into the conversation i'm gonna let ernst uh sort of share with us in his own words what and why he was thinking when he submitted the mission to us. So Ernst, take it away. My submission for what saves us is the movie, The Mission. This movie was shown to me in my grade 11 history class. At this point in my life, I enjoyed movies, but I would rarely say it was at a pretty superficial level. While it would take me several years before I could see movies as a possible art form, I can clearly point to this movie being the genesis of my membership in the cinephile community. From the gorgeous shots of the South American jungle and its indigenous cultures to the movie score that still fills my heart and introduced me to the genius maestro composer Ennio Morricone. And still more, there is the subject matter that I wrestle with to this day. And this movie is my wrestling on screen. I grew up on and still now follow the Anabaptist Mennonite faith. Perhaps a slightly more liberalized version than what you may think of when you hear of the word Mennonite. But anyways, the issue of pacifism has always been one that I have wrestled with. So why does this movie save me? Well, besides the fact that it's visually and sonically beautiful, this movie has always been a strong example that while it's good to have a strong belief system, it's also a great reminder that experience may shape how we see and thus work in the world differently. And as a Canadian, it helps me work through the issue of culpability as the horrors and impact of the residential school system here in Canada have been thrust into the limelight so much so it can no longer be ignored. This movie helps remind me that the world isn't thus. Thus have we made the world. Thus have I made it. Thank you very, very much, Ernst. Uh, I, honestly, a, a very uh, moving and, and powerful sequence of thoughts there. Thank you so much for sharing your heart with us on, on that. Um, you mind if I go first on sharing mm -hmm. my history with it? So there was this really weird, in my, in my movie watching days, there was a larger sequence of years than I would care to admit of time where I had to find justifications to venture out into movie viewing. I wanted to see every movie I could come across, but 
the uh, movies were frequently viewed with a certain degree of suspicion in my home, at least certain kinds of movies. Older films from the 50s and 60s, not so much, but any sort of modern movie was viewed with a certain degree of suspicion and skepticism. Well, what's its content? How many foul language words does it have in it? Uh, you know, all, all of that kind of stuff was, was very much a theme in my home. And as such, I was constantly looking for ways and reasons to see a film. I don't even remember the name of this book. And were I to come across this kind of thing these days, I would be very, very upset by it. But my younger mind was not because my younger mind didn't understand it. There was a book. It was, I'm sure, written by a very church-saturated um, figure who was talking about the content of movies. And it was literally like a, like a Leonard – think of it like a Leonard Malton kind of guide. But this was dissecting the content of movies. Where it was like, oh, this is the theme that it shares, and this is the, and it would have movies in there that were really, uh, you know, graphic and R-rated, and it would lay out like this is all the horrible stuff in it. Um, but I remember specifically, it cited the mission, and it was like the mission is wonderful, you know, and it said, you know, the the mission is a great film, um, and uh, has a lot of uh, Christ-centric language and Christ-centric themes in it. And so I was like, ooh, this is a film that uh, I can point to this book and say, hey, mom and dad, I should watch the mission. So, um, you know, it was in that spirit that I first encountered the film. And it's my understanding that, and my understanding and memory that this film was frequently referenced by people who were Christians and wanted to like movies this was one of those that you could point to to be like, oh, oh, the mission. Yeah. But like, like, what's the mission? It's like, it, it, it's practically a Christian film made by non-Christians, you know? Um, and so that was the spirit in which I encountered it for a long time. Watching it again this time around, my affection in some ways has grown, in some ways has become more complicated. Um, hmm. Some of the, some of the opinions, uh, some of my opinions of what I see on screen most of my feelings about the characters are the same. It's the, it's the story sort of writ large that has become a bit more complicated if I'm being candid about that piece of it. But it's still a film that I find profoundly moving in a number of different ways. And, uh, and so I'm privileged to be able to talk about it. So, yeah. Um, can you unpack that a little bit? The complexity? Um, yeah. So very specifically, my, my, what I have learned in recent days and years about the complexity of missions work mm -hmm. and its ties to colonization and colonialism sure. um, make the overall sort of effect of what's happening. My feelings about it are more complicated. Like I don't have to be hopefully a bit more specific. I don't have complicated feelings about Jeremy Irons and his character, Father Gabriel. I don't have complicated feelings about him. I feel exactly the same way as I think I always have, maybe a little bit more matured uh, about uh, Mendoza and, uh, and, and his journey. And, and, mm -hmm. and I still really love so much about that. But I remember watching this very young and being like, oh, man, sure. uh, okay. it's, it, these, these people are, just, you know, yeah. these people are just like are doing such great work and they're doing God's kingdom work and, and all of that. And then now, and to be fair, the you know ch church the larger church and its politics is in the text of the film i was just too mm -hmm. young to grasp it you know mm -hmm. so it's there it's not as if i'm scratching it something like it is in the roots of the film i just saw this when i was too young to really understand everything that was being laid out for me and so in that sense when i watch it now i'm like oh wow and there's a heaviness 
and a sadness that kind of sits in in the center of my of my guts uh as it were about that yeah so yeah i think that's okay you, you, that makes a lot of sense what you were saying um it's 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 so i i saw this years ago i don't know if it was immediately post-college or in college but it was that era i, I don't remember exactly hmm. uh and was moved by it then but yeah I think knowledge, perhaps wisdom, maybe maturity mm. changed the way I received it this time. Yeah. Um, not so much in a complicating way, in a but perhaps more in a comprehending way. Mm. Um because I'm with you. I, I well, I'm with what I heard you say, and and you might nuance this a little bit, you know, my I would really struggle these days with a I'm going to go join the mission field kind of idea mm-hmm. which which mm-hmm. leaves a lot to unpack that isn't worth unpacking in the moment but you know the idea of going to to whether we say colonize or to um you know cultural erasure mm, right uh I would really wrestle against that these days and, and, or rather I'd really stand against that these days. Not there, there isn't a whole lot of wrestling in that idea or, or in, in my view on that. Um, right. But it is interesting because I do think this taken on its own, just like just watching the story play out. I don't see, uh, and this may be getting further down the road than we want to just yet, but I don't see a, an effort, at erasure um not from father gabriel and right, Captain right, right. I, yes, I don't yes, at yes. all yes from right. from the residents at the mission from the jesuits themselves yes um right. and so from that standpoint i can rest well in appreciating what those characters and their purpose is and their to coin the title of the film their mission is right um right. it's hard can to I, even yeah huh. no, uh, sorry I, uh, just to jump in on that I think yeah. that was one thing that really stood out to me this time is they visit a very, very beautiful mission where the people of that mission, the indigenous people are dressed in robes and they, you know, they're, they're mm. more visibly cultured and it, it, it's, it's beautiful grounds. It's beautiful grounds. Mm-hmm. But then the mission that Father Gabriel is leading, like even when the Cardinal is visiting them. The Guarani people are still engaging in their full cultural mm-hmm. aesthetics. So, so mm-hmm. to the point you made about a notable lack of cultural erasure in what they're doing, and 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 there's an argument to be made that I would listen to in full breadth that would say like, hey, even their presence there is a certain degree of cultural erasure. Okay, fair, but I believe in this fictional world that Father Gabriel and the people who initially follow him, that they are passionate about bringing life and love and God to these people, that that's what they care about, that Mm -hmm. they don't want the politics, that they don't want all of the other sort of power plays that come into it. They just want to bring the gospel to these people. That's what I believe about these characters. Well, and you and I have a shorthand, and and, but to unpack that shorthand a little bit, I I would even wrestle a little bit with the language you just used to bring the gospel mm. to these people. Why I say that mm. is because it's, it's interesting. You, you paint an interesting 
you point to an interesting note that I didn't that didn't quite register to me until you solidified it there of the even the distinctions mission to mission. Yes, right. And I think so much about the story from Barking to the Choir of Gregory Boyle and a woman coming to him saying, I've got a word for these gang members uh, uh, and wanting to save them. And he says, go away and come back when you yourself are ready to be saved. They are already saved. Mm-hmm. And I think so much of what we've commonly understood, what we've commonly applied as quote unquote mission has been saving versus standing with. And there's a powerful right. scene. There's a powerful scene that, I, that my take on it was powerful to me. I don't totally know if I'm reading it correctly, but there's a powerful scene when uh, it's at least, at least a third to midway. Mendoza's already beginning to enmesh himself in the mission. Yeah. And he says to Gabriel, he says, Father, I want to thank you. And, and Iron says, thank the Guarani. And he says, mm. well, how? Mm. And he says, read this. And he just hands him scripture. Right. Yes. And how I absorb that scene, that moment, because it's so fascinating. He doesn't say, read this so you know how to thank them. Right. Right, right, right. And what that said to me in the moment was this notion of scripture, yes, but God more as solidarity, as self-forming. Like you mm. do this mm. so that you know how to be mm. amongst mm. others. Mm. Yeah. This will teach you how to be with. Because that's yes. very different than go teach this to them. That's yes. very different yeah. than go read this to them. Yes. Yeah. And well, so to your point, I'm sorry, to your point about the overarching notion of mission and the peculiarity of, or the particularity of Gabriel's mission. Go ahead. Well, no, all I was going to say is to, to, to go your way and, and further entrench the passages of scripture that Robert De Niro voiceovers mm-hmm. allowed is, mm-hmm. you know, if I have all these things and I have not love, then I am, mm-hmm. I am nothing, you know, like, and that is, that is really profound. And I think to your point, there is significance behind those scriptures um, and I even think that it's possible we watch Father Gabriel's own intent behind what's happening change as it goes to the film, because before he invites Mendoza to the mission, when he goes to see Mendoza, they ask him, the guy who's leading him back there, asks him how the mission is going. He said, um, you know, any converts? And he says, a few and some mm-hmm. close to it. You know, so he's, so he's at least initially tracking conversions. He's at least mm-hmm. initially tracking like, okay, these are people who used to either have their own cultural representation of a faith or, and now they have adopted Christianity. Um, like, so, so when I say earlier and I, you were right. And I'm going to, I'm trying to get better about this to try to call out cliches and shorthands that could risk like sort of stopping contemplative thought and bring the gospel to is one of those, like, because because what do we even mean by that when we say right. that you know like what which you know, that, wasn't me wagging a finger it oh was, i know that i know I, that. I knew what you were saying yeah um, i'm because I'm it's picking really up your pushback and i'm identifying i want to pivot away from just the simplicity of language without actually giving some contemplation to it so now go ahead and leave your thought. because what's fascinating about the scene you just brought up because that registered to me too 
again, maybe I'm reading with 42 year old Nathan brain and all that I've experienced, learned and marinated in, in those years, uh, because I think there's a case to be made when father Gabriel says a few, some on the verge, I, he is seeing past the stat and understanding mm. like, this doesn't matter. I'm, I'm going to tell you what you want to hear. Mm, I would um, buy that. Yes. But that. this is you, you, this is, this is a difficult movie to discuss without getting emotional. Um, yeah, I understand because, and not for a particular personal reason. I just mean like it is powerful. The mm-hmm. let's, let's, if we can, can we jump into some that's their rights? Cause that may yes, absolutely. put a yeah. few, put a few didactic pieces off the Go table and, yep. and get us more into it. Go ahead, Andrew, take us there. That's so right. It's just so right. It's just so right. That's just so All right. Um, I, I'm tempted to just say let's let's do more than one each because there's so many. Um, you want to do two each? I can do two each. I'm gonna do two each. Let's do it. Um, okay. Yep. You go first. Okay. The I referenced this last week with Princess Bride and 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 even gave spoiler warning that would come up here and this notion of God being found, reflected, seen, made manifest in three specific elements as I referenced in Philip Yancey described in one of his books of, of nature, the natural world, music and romantic love and Mm -hmm. read the scene when Gabriel enters, he's, he's ascended the falls. You talking about his oboe Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and, and somewhere in relation to that scene, it, I think the Cardinal gives an, it's either a voiceover or it's somewhere in that vicinity of the scene. He says with an orchestra, the Jesuits could have taken the whole country. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's so much wrapped up here. So, so I will, so the, the personal that intersects with this film, you know, I, you you jokingly refer to yourself as valiant but stupid last week. I will claim sometimes I do feel very slow to understand things. And my personal consumption the last approaching decade of literature and thought and comprehension of our specific countries. Uh, uh, Ernst referenced uh, um, indigenous peoples impact by the um what do they call the schools the, the there's a, a word for it residential school residential schools yes yeah uh and 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 the the haunting nature of that for canada and for us uh, uh it is the institution of chattel slavery and and this is what i meant by watching this movie this time around i'm like i, I understand a lot more what is happening mm-hmm. in the meta narrative of this yes movie. yes um things that because I guarantee you 20 years ago, I'm like, I don't totally understand what's going on with all these conflicting ideas and ideologies and, but whatever, I'm sorry that happened at the end, you know? Right. I probably first Um, saw this when I was 10. I had no clue about all of that kind of stuff. Absolutely. And so sort of personal, whatever I, I 
kind of stumbled into a number of years ago and all of this reading I do was contending with the ascent we had to make at some point morally to determine, to declare those we brought over here against their will as non-human. Like, like a, 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 a moral consensus was reached. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not a singular thing. It's not a singular person. It's not a singular nation, but a moral consensus was reached that permitted us to commit a sweeping atrocity Mm -hmm. towards, towards in this case, in most cases, non-Europeans. And so watching this movie this time, I'm seeing this happen you know and it's and and it's one thing to watch glory or 12 years a slave or things that are very that that we might have difficulty accessing because it's so close to home and it's another thing watching this because it's under the pretext of institutional church right being being intrinsic and complicit with and i'm getting back to the oboe Because like watching this movie, I had a lot on my spirit of, and I read it, I don't know, two years ago now, Christian Wyman book, the bright abyss, my bright abyss. Mm. And in it, there's a, there's a takeaway that has stayed with and haunted me. And he says, there's no permutation of humanity in which Christ is not present. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Now to the Don Cabezas of the world, they would say, well, humanity isn't present here thus nor is christ right yes so you know okay i'm gonna lose that argument to that (laughs) mindset and yet and yet if god is found in romantic love nature and music this is what's happening these these actual people in whom christ is present are responding to the god in this person and in this moment and in this experience yes Mm -hmm. and that's an incredibly powerful visual and narrative thing to bear witness to yeah indeed um so yeah there's there's (laughs) this one one that's so right (laughs) so gabriel's oboe scene affected me tremendously when i was when i was first uh when i first saw this film i will say as a general production note but very but a very specific one the score the 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 score was one of the first things that enraptured my imagination about this film it is possible although i can't remember specifically it would have been like 30 years ago it is possible i heard the soundtrack to this before i saw the movie it is possible because of just my library visit and on the if you look at the at the film the cover you are most likely to see is robert de niro in a fencing Mm -hmm, stance mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that is the cover you are most likely to see the cover of the soundtrack was the missionary on a cross falling over the falls and that visual image arrested me when i first saw it and and that might have even been prior to the the book that i had mentioned that might have even been something that captured my attention before even encountering that that book i referenced about the movie but um the musical score here this is i mean it it is profound and and it still busted out and it still tears me up and there's a specific um cue 
that is, and I opened, I, I somewhat jokingly opened this episode with it, that little refrain that like that whole melody that sort of plays through everything. It is so tender and it's gentle. And then usually when the strings bring up in it, and Ian Morricone cited it um, as, I don't know how long he did this, but for many, many years cited the mission as his favorite score that he had ever mm. composed. Um, and it is, uh, it is, it is really beautiful. There was a, some BBC list that cited it as the greatest score ever written, even above things like wow. John Williams, Star Wars and stuff like that, which I think that's a little here. far. Yeah. I think that's a little far. <laughs> I'm kidding. I, I love the score, but, but I will say that like just writ large, that's my, that's so right. It's just this score. If you have no interest in seeing this movie still like pull up on, on your subscription. But if you're listening to our show, you should have an interest. You in should this movie and see this movie. It. Yes. 100%. So that's my first, that's so right. Is the, is the score. What you got so for many, me? There are so many here. Um, this isn't my one, but I'm going to call it out. Uh, you, you think your cloth protects you? No, I think it protects you. Oh, like, oh that's my a great God, line. That that's a great a, moment. My cloth protects you. Like, yeah. oh, man, yeah. that's yeah. great. He's a stone cold um, killer, man. And that's, yes, absolutely. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, maybe would surprise you here. And, and partly because of how I think instructive it should be to us to engage the humanity of others. Uh, partly is just the entire scene, the entire sequence when the entourage from Europe travels to investigate the missions and mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Don Cabeza is leveling his very mm, 2021 institutional mm -hmm. church contempt for those not like him, the other. Any, any, any barks, they kill their young. Yeah. <laughs> and Jeremy Irons, this, this, this man who you utterly, utterly believe at every turn. Like this is a, this is uh, to say man of God is, is, a, is too reductive a phrase. Um, yeah. He says true, but only to survive. They mm -hmm. cannot have a third child because they could not run and carry a third run from us. And, yeah. and I'm so moved by that because a direct line could be drawn between that moment and, and the quote unquote abortion discussion of our present era. But the point I'm not trying to make is this is just like that. The point I am trying to make is until you seek to understand why people not yes. like you do the things they do, you mm -hmm. can't be Christ to them and mm. never will. Come on. Yeah, that's right. And, and I love that someone who has chosen solidarity with the other says, sure, what you're saying is true, but A, it doesn't matter. B, your ignorance keeps you from comprehending why this might ever even be a thing. Right. Because and there's his resolution is they're doing it because of you. Yes. Effectively. Yes. Is the, yeah. The point he makes. Because there's true. And there's true underneath the true because, and, and maybe the distinction would be uh, factual and true mm -hmm. um, because yes. the, the true underneath the true Don Cabeza says they eat their young. Therefore, they kill savages. their young. They say they eat, kill their, they kill. No, yeah. I they think kill. it says kill. They don't eat. Yeah. yeah they don't yeah. eat. Yeah. No, 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 that's no. A, 
Bridge too that's, far there. It's a different like, whoa. Okay, wait Don Cabeza. You, you got us. You got <laughs> My us. My bad. I misread this whole movie. <laughs> it's a happy ending. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but uh, they so so to get back to my point that um, they kill their young and his implication, what is underneath what he is saying is how, you know, the all of the things that them doing that means. And and so that's why another reason that I love about that. And I would even say that's why so many of the conversations in our sociopolitical climate end with this is a thing that has happened okay well are, are you even concerned remotely about finding out why that happened right. like do you do you want right. to do you want to understand how we got here what what brought us to this point and make no mistake i'm applying that to everything like i'm applying that to the conversations around um Mass incarceration. I'm implying that mm-hmm. to conversations around January 6th. I'm implying that to conversations around uh, reproductive rights and all of these kind of the 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 issue of gun violence in our country. Like all of that. Like I think very much when you end your sentence at a this is a thing that has happened, and you are not interested in finding out why and finding the root of that little tree, then. You made a statement that I'm going to come back to. The statement I'm making in this moment is you you will have no chance of understanding or doing any good in that situation if you are not interested in why it happened. You'll you'll have no uh, you'll have no chance of doing any good there. You made the statement that I also amen and affirm that you'll have no chance of being Christ in that moment because there is one thing that I see very consistently in the scriptural representations of Christ is that he always understood. He understood better than anybody else that was going on around what the exact tone of the moment was what the why behind the the statement was. And so, yes, I find it profoundly uh, insightful and convicting that a statement like that uh, exists and not to take away, not to dilute the other part of the point is that, yeah, yeah, we have pushed them to that. Like that is something that in this context, like they have to be able to run and they can't run with two children in your, in their arms. So that's a survival mechanism. Mm-hmm. And you got to look at yourself for how you contributed to that. And he even, if there is, it's not even a quibble with the movie. It's not a critique of the character even. But I will, I will note and call out that Father Gabriel is so subservient and is so committed to the order of the Jesuits and so committed to like the rule of things that that he won't like join in with Captain Mendoza when he's like, that's a lie. Like everything mm-hmm. you've just said mm-hmm. is a lie. And he is so committed to it, maybe by survival of his own accord, because he understands the machinations in which things are working, but, uh, but also to a slightly frustrating degree, like Jeremy Irons tries very, very hard, but reaches no point of the fury that Captain Mendoza reaches of like, Hey, you can't, do this like you see it bubbling behind robert de niro's eyes um and i know i'm going a little bit off like branching off from what you say but like or for what from what you brought up but it is moments like that where i love that father gabriel is passionately trying to defend them there is a part of me that relates so profoundly to father gabriel i feel like if i was populated in this story 300 you know 300 years ago i would probably be very much like father gabriel um you know a bit shy around direct confrontation but trying in my almost diplomatic way to try to you know i mean uh 
as soon as I said that, I, I, you know, I admire this character very much. So it feels a little pretentious for me to say that, but I can relate a lot to the way he goes about it. At the same time, I sometimes get a little frustrated that I'm like, oh my God, we like get angry, <laughs> like, get angry mm-hmm. and yell at somebody for a minute because you can see the, the, the travesty of what's happening. So get mad and yell at somebody at some point, please, you know? Um, but yeah, I, yeah, that moment is really very affecting and infuriating. Um, the other thing that I would cite as as that's so right is um, the scene that I don't think I fully grasped. First time I watched the movie, maybe even the second and third time I watched the movie, um, I was moved more by Robert De Niro's performance and by the um, musical score that kicks in in this. But the scene where the Guarani, after he's reached the top of the falls mm-hmm. for the first time, after carrying this tether that even when Liam Neeson tried to sever it from him, he went back and recollected and retied it to himself because this is his penance. And then when he reaches the top of the falls and the Guarani finally, he thinks for a moment, you see it. He thinks for a moment that they're going to kill him, but instead of killing him, they cut him free from his bonds. And this is a man who we saw in the early part of the film. He killed one of them, at least one of them has presumably killed more than one of them and entrapped them and, and uh, captured them and taken them, sold them. Right. sold them and into slave trade and for them because of the christ that they have seen at work in what is going on and because of you know what has engendered in them of their own accord um they they forgive him and set him free in a moment that is filled with laughter and tears it's beautiful and, and and it is it is incredibly profound that moment when he is uh, set free from his burden is uh, is just incredible, but especially well, because it's the one that he it's the ones that he was actively hunting and killing that set him free yeah. from it. That's just yeah, uh, mm, mm. yeah, not that that really rang out to me that it's you know it's funny. Gosh, last time Blake was on pre Salem's Lot, we were talking about the woodsman. It was the woodsman, yeah, mm-hmm. and this idea of forgiveness and who who is empowered to forgive and, and yes yeah yeah and why that scene is so powerful is it and and what can sometimes be forgotten is that only those we've harmed can free us of that burden we carry sometimes mm-hmm. now now sometimes we self-harm in continuing to carry the thing but yes and know, yes understood um, yeah. no that's that's mm. that's of course a very powerful scene and and you know, whether you are watching this 20 years ago as a young person, uh, new to <laughs> film and faith, but, uh, it's a very powerful scene and, and even 20 years hence, uh, achieve similar effect as well. Do you want to yeah. go? Let's, uh, exit? take us out, jump Andrew, off, jump, off, jump off the waterfall. <laughs> That's just so right. Um, oh, man, I want to so much um there's you know what okay so let's do this i'm cognizant there may be listeners who even have reached this far and have no idea what this movie's about the film's plot in brief is in the opening moments of the film there is a uh, an indigenous tribe in south america who live above these very high waterfalls and um there's a missionary a jesuit priest named father gabriel played by jeremy irons who goes to conduct a mission and and establish a mission up among these people, the Guarani. And then we meet Captain Mendoza, who is suffering from a tragedy in his life because kind of on accident, mostly on purpose, he killed his brother 
but it was in a uh, yes, but uh, it was in a formal duel, so he really can't be charged by law of the land at the time. Um, so he is riddled with guilt. He and Father Gabriel cross paths. Father Gabriel invites him to come and work in the mission as a kind of penance. Um, fast forwarding through a lot of very lovely and, and you dare scenes. try it. I know. Yeah. Um, fast forwarding through some very potent and powerful scenes. Uh, he d- Captain Mendoza does go join the mission. He is moved. He is changed. He does become a priest. But then shortly after Captain Mendoza is converted and becomes a priest and, and, and uh, vows himself to the, to the Jesuit order, um, there is a political power that comes into play that is directly sort of intersected with the institutional church, the institutional um, Catholic church. And it is that the land that the Guarani people uh, live in is being fought over by Portugal and Spain. And a compromise that is uh, intended to be reached and sanctioned by this church is, okay, you can have these lands. What is made very clear in the text of the film is that the Spanish and Portuguese want this land so that they can conduct a slave trade, chattel slavery. Like the, They want this land so that they can enslave these people. And, and over the course of a painful sequence of conversations and a painful sequence of scenes, uh, the church eventually just lets it happen. And so the conflict that that's the kind of the main narrative conflict is the church is just going to let this thing happen. Uh, and then when they realize when Captain Mendoza, Robert De Niro, and Father Gabriel, Jeremy Irons, realize that this is what's going to happen, Father Gabriel wants to stand with the Guarani people and pray with them and keep his vows as a Jesuit priest and, and knows he's probably going to die with them. Captain Mendoza wants to re- revoke his recent vows as a priest and take up arms and fight for them. And that becomes another ideological conflict uh, over the, the, the last like 40 minutes of this movie is how are we going to defend these people and what are we going to do uh, for them? And so that is what plays out over the broad course of the narrative uh, of the film. And I think that's probably enough for us to pivot wherever we would want to pivot. I just wanted to make sure listeners had some knowledge of like, this is the major beats of the, of the movie. If they've never seen it before, before we, uh, it feels like the final run is a, as should is, and should be a, a primary talking point. Um, but mm-hmm. perhaps before we get there, you know, the there's, there's two passages of dialogue from the film, one that basically ends the film, but that is thematic to the whole thing. And then another paragraph that the Cardinal says at one point that I'll, I'll, I'll walk into this via, um, via a personal anecdote, uh, cause I'm clearly having trouble finding my way in recently. Um, there's a family that we're pretty, pretty close with, although it's, it's growing in closeness and, and relatively recent. And, um, the, it's an interracial couple. The husband is African-American and, you know, in these things I've been learning and studying these last years, it's always hard to know how to apply those and when to, sh- when to speak those. But, uh, he and I have begun an open dialogue in the spirit of that with me feeling some freedom to, to engage some of those ideas in a way that in the same way that occasionally like, I'll ask our fellow Padro Ian Olson, I was like, remind me of the right word, um, <laughs> for, you know, native peoples. Um, so that kind of idea. And recently, uh, this, this peer, he made a comment about how he was, uh, the, the, the peer groups he has, one of which he was 
oh, maybe this was it. He was, we were talking about books and what are we reading? And he said, you know, I'm reading my uh, racially infused texts and I'm reading my Christian infused texts mm. and, and implied uh, a sort of distinction there. And I, I got to a point and, and this is a new freedom for me to sort of step in there. And I said, I want to encourage you, man. Those are, can, and should be the same thing. Mm-hmm. And I maybe naively, like if I think there's anything good about the way I view the world and have for years now, it's taking seriously the notion of on earth as it is in heaven mm. and being and attempting to put hands to the plow in that spirit, uh, be it with resources, time as able, so on and so forth, and standing firm against the notion uh, that would rebut that, that it, that it is all to my friend's distinction. Oh, well, there's, there's the, there's the Christian way to sort of think about and operate in the world. And there's the, there's a thing that affects the real world. It's like, no, you, right, right. Those two things are one and the same or should be. And, and so where I'm going with this is there's a, a scene in the film of the Cardinal writing a letter. Yeah. Presumably to Gabriel. And he says this seeking to create a paradise on earth, how easily it offends your holiness is offended because it distracts from the paradise, which is to come hereafter. Their majesties of Spain and Portugal are offended because the paradise of the poor is seldom pleasing to those that lord over them. Mm -hmm. And dude, it says it all. The paradise of the poor is displeasing to those who would reap economic gain from the poor being utilized to their own ends. No, absolutely. And to be clear, not to take away from the power of what you've just said, but he's not writing that letter to Gabriel. He's writing that letter up. The the entire Mm, conceit mm. of the film is that he is documenting what has taken place. So the film Mm. plays out for us. He is writing. I don't know if he's writing up to, you know, like an archbishop or if he's, you know, writing up to the Pope. I don't know, but he's, he's writing a letter upwards to say, this is what has happened. And, uh, and so that it makes it all the more profound what you said that he's being that blunt upwards and saying, this is, this is the track that of the story that you're about to, that's about to unfold in this, in this tale. Um, and I think the really tragic reality of so much, I recently had, this is going to feel like such a hard pivot. And I, I, I promise you, it, it's linking up in my mind. I recently had the privilege to uh, be a guest about maybe two and a half weeks ago now at this point, maybe about two weeks ago. I had the privilege to be a guest on a show called The Gospel According to Star Trek. And it was in their Halloween episode. And they were, I mean, it's literally, I got to talk about faith and horror and Star Trek. Like, oh my Lord, my head almost exploded. Um, but in it, um, and, 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 you know, by all means, go check out the whole episode. I think a lot of wonderful observations are made by all four of us in that conversation. But one of the things that I pointed out, if you know Star Trek and you know the character of the Borg, um, the Borg, like, assimilate everything. And one of the things that I pointed out is I said a lot of our language about, like, what 
we think God wants and what we think the church should be really feels a lot like assimilation. And it feels a lot like, like, mm-hmm. oh, you just come mm-hmm. in, lose yourself, you know, come in and, 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 and just evaporate away into what we have. And you're serving a greater purpose and you're serving the collective and all of these other kind of things. Like it breaks my heart when the Cardinal is writing in that moment. And he says like, to save the body, you got to hack off a limb. Mm. And that just breaks my heart because you're talking about these people, like the moment that makes me so emotional and it makes me emotional, sad, and it makes me emotional, angry, and it makes me emotional, like, like outraged. Like I want to pace the room and I want to go do something is when he says, when Gabriel is translating between the Guarani people and Mm -hmm. the, and the Cardinal, and he's like, you know, God brought us here to, you know, to establish the missions. Now you want them to leave the missions. They don't understand why God has changed his mind. And I'm just like, that line hit me so hard this time around. Like, they don't understand why God has changed his mind because, and I'll make this statement, and this is a personal passion of mine, too many times we have put words in God's mouth or put words as God's mouth, and we are so fickle as a people because our minds are swayed by whatever is most expedient at the time, be that political gain, be that financial gain, be that, oh, well, this is the movement of the church that we want to see happen. So we keep putting words in God's mouth and saying, God wants this, God wants this, God wants this. And we keep sort of acting as if like, oh, well, this is the new thing. And, and, and it's all just like an accumulation of power. Meanwhile, there's all these people underneath, good people who, who have encountered something of love that they really want to to cling to, and uh, they've encountered something real and tangible in their own life um, of the experience of the Holy Spirit or the experience of encountering God. And then they don't understand why God has changed his mind. Like, w- w- what is this fickle thing? You were, you were the presence here of God. And then that one child in the mission said, she doesn't want to go return to the jungle because the devil's out there. And just like, oh my God. Anyway. Well, and the, no, and that's a very powerful scene and just some actual excerpts there. Uh, uh, Gabriel, they don't want to leave the mission. The mission is their home. His eminence tell them they must learn to live with the will of God. Mm-hmm. If the will of God was for them to come out of the jungle and build the mission, then why would he change his mind? And the last thing he translates from the chief or kind of whatever the, the authoritative figure is of the Guarani, he says, he doesn't think you speak for God. He thinks you speak for the Portuguese. Mm-hmm. And that is... And true in that moment absolutely and 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 would that we would that we all had some boldness of that you know uh, a willingness to not not be a jerk but to 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 call a thing what it is well because he Um, says sorry he says in that moment he's like have you talked to the king of portugal he's like yes he will not listen and he says well i'm also a king and i also will not listen yes and i'm like oh yes man like that is really affecting very very affecting i mean i've got two ideas worth pondering here for a second one i think something that i just take a great deal of heart from in this film and i think i'm always looking for uh and blessedly always finding Hmm. is that the institutional church will not often and in fact maybe rarely be where christ is found Mm. and i i love i hate because of what it says of the church as institution and and let's not pretend here be it the vatican and the catholic monolith of which there are assuredly a myriad of interpretive facets to 
you know, let's not too quickly wash our hands of, of the Protestant culpability in great and heinous wickedness in the name of God. But I kind of love that what this movie sort of paints a picture of is, is this pocket and thus illustration of the possibility of Christ formed relationship, community, communion, existing parallel to, but even potentially more so outside of what those in the world of that time would point to and say, well, that's the church, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Those in the world of the time would say, oh, his holiness, oh, his eminence. That is the church. That is the figurehead of God in the world. That is the, the, the signpost of, and yet <laughs> stamped under the boot heel of in like fashion, because it's what he does is a Christ community mm-hmm. that, that exists in orbit, independent of, it has some tether too, of course. Of course, but, yes. But is in some way set against the purposes of the quote-unquote church. I don't know. Yeah. I, I, it, it may be a well, selfish appreciation I take in that, but it is appreciation nonetheless. Well, he calls out that in that mission above the falls, everything that is brought in goes back into the community. It all like it, it, it is a basically like a self-sustaining organism. Like it's all like you know we are we are kind of of ourselves. We have we have come alive, if you will, in this in this sense. One of the things that I so I recently was having a conversation actually with I mean I'm not trying to be you know really pretentious here, but it just the conversation just happened to be with. Uh, Bill, a uh, friend of the show, the the actor friend, he's been on the show a couple of times. Um, and I was so having a pretentious. Right? I know it's so pretentious, so, but um, I love Bill. Bill's a friend. Um, but um, but so so I was having a conversation with him, just kind of one of our little uh, catch ups, our periodic catch ups, and the conversation had drifted to this idea of the way we approach people who don't believe the same way that we do, and. I'm not going to do the 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 language he used justice, um, but we were making an observation about how we so rarely enter those conversations to learn and more so to teach. We enter those conversations because we want to instruct and we want to like, oh well, you you don't believe, so let me um, you know let me let me catch hold of all of the little talking points and then let me pivot back into you. You know, here's all of the things that you need to learn from this conversation. And uh, Bill had observed quite profoundly to kind of stop to me in my tracks when we were talking, but he said, you know, what would we have to learn from even like a pagan ideology or an atheist ideology? Like, what would we have to learn and how would it change things if we were to approach that and say, hmm, you know, I'm, I am, I am, I'm curious about you. I want to learn about you. And then along the way, as we seek something that pretty much most people might agree we would aim to seek something good, seek something rich, something wholesome, something beneficial. And the way Bill phrased it, he said, and, and who knows, but what we may both find Christ uh, along the way. And I'm just, and, and I was so knocked over by that, like, oh man, like we would find him, like we would mutually find him together. Like you're so different from me. You're so different than how I think and how I feel and how I see the world. But maybe if I have an open heart to be able to receive and learn from you, then in the learning, then I will find Christ there too. And we will we may find him together. Because lest we make the the mistake of thinking that somehow Christ is something that we possess 
and that we then um, can territorialize and that we can somehow like, oh, well, I'm going to hold him back. Because that's that's part of when I called out my language earlier, bring the gospel to these people. Here's why as soon as you sort of, and I, I know you weren't chastising me, yeah. so I, yeah. you know, but but what pinged me in the way you responded to it was like, oh yeah, that's right. We don't own the gospel. I can't bring anything. Mm-hmm. Like Amen. like I don't own it, you know. And so I can't I can't bring anything. Like if anything, I might be able to find it with you if I am seeking it mm-hmm. and I am doing mm-hmm. so wholeness, yes. you know, wholly. I and might fully. be able. I might be able to find it with you. Yes, and 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 that is something that is is becoming much more important to me in the season that we walk through right now is like i'm i am seeking him i am seeking christ the lord and and i'm seeking to follow after him and i am seeking to discover him in the myriad of places that i believe he is ubiquitous among creation and so i am seeking him in these millions and millions of places and um and so that is something that has become more which is why i have to actively resist the uh, common language that I would so regularly use to shorthand certain ideas when much richer and, and deeper ideas to me have become more important at this at this time in my life. And I think I'm going to say a thing, knowing I'm not good at it. So understand, mm, mm, it's mm. wagging a finger as much as myself. I think faithfulness is both always seeking and always finding. Mm, it is. Mm. It is both and it is never arriving mm-hmm. rarely mm-hmm. A- except at at a very lovely end yes um, yeah yeah and i want it, it it that feels like a a way to get to sort of my final sort of big point i'd like to sort of engage with you here and that's the final sequence effectively and yeah yeah and it's interesting man like i i I think very much that in a on paper sense, I would I would have said, although even just watching this movie and, and meditating on it some is is sort of challenging me a little bit. I would have said uh uh Gabriel is right if if we're gonna choose mm. Mm. by film by film's end, his choice of nonviolence and uh uh rebuking Mendoza is correct and yet at the same time like um i had there aren't many people who who i trust with this level of sort of pushback for me but um a conversation i had about a year ago with a a mutual peer of ours um who who is not who would not necessarily identify themselves as kind of diehard pacifist was make was kind of making a case for uh not if we can I'm making up these phrasings as I go, not a necessary violence per se, mm, but, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but a not unfaithful, um, avoidance of pacifism. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the, if, if, if the, yeah, I get it. I'm tracking convoluted. Um, and so what's interesting about this, how this movie resolves is because, because what you said of, and always seeking, well, I add always to it, but a seeking, a, a, a movement, a, an undulation, a, a, a harmonizing. I think there's a strong case to be made that Mendoza and Gabriel are both equally right and equally wrong. Mm. 
I would agree. Mm-hmm. And that what we miss if we focus too heavily on is nonviolence correct always is resistance to antagonistic violence incorrect always. What we miss is that in the cold reality of death, and it is very cold in this film, how they each suffer. Yes, each, it is. How they each are dispatched. Go out, yeah. Is that in the wake of this, little naked native children pick up the cross mm-hmm. and carry it mm-hmm. into new discovery and territory and together find a gospel that is Christ. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that and and to me, that's the takeaway. It is not pedantic, didactic, uh, are you a baby killer? It is not pedantic, didactic, well, is pacifism always right? It is seek to understand mm-hmm. and always carry mm-hmm. into, into next and fuller, bigger, richer, lovelier. And, and, and whom, whom you call animal is the one who will find Christ. Yeah. Right. Right. I don't know. I don't know. No, I, it it really is. And I resonate so much. Like the film doesn't care which one of them are right. There's a moment that I found very affecting this time around when Mendoza, after he has been shot and he knows he has failed, Mm -hmm. he can see father. Yeah. Yeah. And he watches and we are left to imagine what he might be thinking. I thought in that moment that he is watching to see if Father Gabriel makes it, because I think there's a part of him that wonders and questions his own choices and sees, you know, like, and, and I think there's a part of it where he just wants to see if Father Gabriel makes it, not as personal validation, but just does he survive? Oh, yeah. Does he, does he yeah, make it? You yeah, know, there's yeah. so much going on in that moment. And when uh, Jeremy Irons' character, Father Gabriel, is finally, and, and as you mentioned, coldly, unceremoniously shot and falls, uh, Mendoza lets himself go. Mm-hmm. He lets himself drift back. He stops sitting up. He lets himself drift back and die because um, he's been fatally wounded at that point. And um, one of the things that happens after that, and as we've said many times, what the film leaves us with is what I believe it wants us to, to think about. And um, so the final sort of uh, interscene dialogue that's left is what Ernst Mantler called out in his, in his um, pitch to us. The, mm. um, he said, Hey, you know, the, the Portuguese and the Spanish are like, yeah, this slaughter was necessary. This, this genocide was, was necessary. Uh, it absolutely was. And then the Portuguese guy has the gall to stand there and say, well, listen, we have to operate in the world. The world is thus. We must, yes, we must work in the world and the world is thus. And then the Cardinal says back, no, thus have, I made, thus have we made the world. Thus have I made it. Mm-hmm. Um, a potent and powerful observation, but to the point you just made. Thank God that's not the very final, at least visual beat that the film leaves us with. Because we see the little girl, naked child, sees the burned out husk of the church. But then she goes, and do you see what else she picks up? She picks up the broken, busted, never going to be played again violin. Mm, yes, she picks yes, up the violin yes, yes. and carries it clumsily yes. to the to the place. Like you know, the thing that first sparked <laughs> mm-hmm. 
the thing that first sparked something in, you know, her, them, something. The thing um, that first revealed God to her. Yeah. And she wasn't standing there among the warriors when she first heard Gabriel's oboe, but you imagine there was a scene that we didn't get to see where suddenly she heard it for the oh, first time and her they imagination. They tell the story. Yeah. And her imagination just, just lit up. And then she sees this broken thing in the middle of the water and that's what she picks up and, um, and carries it with her. And, uh, and, and as, you know, it's really weird. I don't want to pivot out of, a, of, of, of the moment that I'm having, um, but it was really weird. I watched this digital, I watched this digitally this time and the text of the film didn't uh, land over top of the digital thing. But in some versions, in most versions of this film, there's a text that scrolls across the end. And, uh, and after she has picked up the violin and gets back into the boat, there's some sort of historical closing text, but then it cites John chapter one and verse five, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Mm. Um, and sometimes that light um, still glimmers in burned out husks of what used to be and in broken violins that are picked up by children and carried on uh, as the memory of something that's going to be passed on somewhere and is going to be found again. And God willing, we'll, we will find it together if we continually are seeking and finding as we're, as we're, conversing about right now but that uh that really you know like thus is the world thus have we made it but there is another making in play that mm -hmm. we so yeah thus is the world and thus have we made it but we must never lose sight that there is another making happening at the same time and um and whatever mm -hmm. that other making looks like is far is so far beyond our control and beyond our manipulation um and it will continually um, yes, it, it will continue to make and be made um, again and again and again. And how unfaithful of us to neglect, mm -hmm. to, to not comprehend there into that forest goes Christ. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. and holy, oh my God, I almost cussed. <laughs> what did she say? I don't want to go there because that's where the devil is. Where are they going? <laughs> Mm -hmm. they're going to dispel it they are going to carry it anew and afresh yeah, yeah absolutely um as a random note I, I, your 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 interpretation of the mendoza moment you know because I, I agree with you i think there's a lot of even on a cinematic level like this is a really it'd be a cool exercise to show that scene you know yes like what yes. What, what is what is you know now creatively right what you think sort of is yeah what's happening and, to and him yeah. for me personally i actually think I think there's a, there's a pretty major sense of resignation on everyone's part that this, we're not going to yes. get out of this to, to me. It isn't so much. Will he make it? How far will he make it to me? It's solidarity. It's, it's, mm, mm, mm -hmm. it's, I see mm -hmm. you and, 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 and we are in this together. Yes. And yeah. Together. Oh, we will yeah. together. We have been together. Mm -hmm. We are about to be even more Yeah. because that's when that. he, that's when he gives it up. Right. Once mm -hmm. he knows, okay, now I can go too. he's gone I now. Mean, oh, God help. You know, yeah. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Which, which just to me kind of reinforces now hear me. I'm not saying violence is an appropriate response at, at, at varying levels. No. There's, there's, there's no. conversation and dialogue to, that is necessitated there, but to me just reinforces the notion of, uh, they are both quote unquote wrong and both yeah. quote unquote right in, well, in their efforts. Yes. And I love when you put that, like I did, I did write it down, but I don't, I don't think I even have to read it. Uh, Gabriel says to him, he said, because father Mendoza or Mendoza comes and asks for the blessing. And he says, no, I'm not going to give it to you. If you're right, you'll have God's blessing. 
if you're wrong, mine won't mean anything. And then he says, if might is right, then love has no place in this world. And then he gets emotional and he says, it may be so, it may be mm-hmm. so, mm-hmm. but he says, I don't know if I have the strength to live in a world like that. Yep. And, and, and I do think that you are astute in pointing out like they are, they, they are both partially right and they are both partially wrong. Um, and, and all of it will fall down, but even hmm, I'm, I'm really sorry. I don't mean to, like, <laughs> <laughs> it's just, just me, man. I've seen you boohoo for up. 20 years. Like I know, yeah. But like even even if it all falls down, then <laughs> children will wander and will and will find the spark again and will carry Christ into the jungle. Like even if it all falls down, because even if even if we all lose, you know, like we didn't call this out in the Ted Lasso thing, and I'll just mention it in passing, like that's something in episode three that I love that the character of Nora says in do the rightest thing. She said, sometimes you have to do the right thing, even if you're going to lose, even if you're going to lose, sometimes you have to do the right thing. And, um, and I think we ourselves get so arrogant pitting everything against whether or not we will win, lose, survive, not anything like that. And, and, and I just find it so powerful that, uh, yeah, even in all that loss and devastation and all fall down, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness is not overcome it. Um, yeah. Mm. This, this, this may not be a worthwhile asterisk there, but to me, you can take out even if uh, to me, it's, it's, it will all fall down. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It no, will. I don't disagree. It is. Yeah. That is, that is, you know, uh, the ending of a biological life in death is not mm-hmm. merely a literalism of a thing. It is also mm-hmm. an illustration and instructive to us that it's not an even if it's a, it will fall down. It will. And, yeah. but you pick up, yeah. you, you, you pick up the pieces after the fact. Well, yeah. I'm dead. Okay. Well, <laughs> whatever I, those pieces are going to look like now, you're going to pick them up and you're going to go in with God to it. Because into I, the jungle. I've cited I've cited this before. I'm going to slightly paraphrase it now because I don't I don't have the quote in front of me. I've cited this before. Probably my favorite thing that my oft quoted G.K. Chesterton ever wrote is he said, you know, basically we don't need to be afraid of our faith dying because we follow one who knows the way out of the grave, mm. and um and and so we need not be afraid of ever just ev- really everything of losing everything because we follow one who knows the way out of the grave and um. And we lose sight of that so much. We, we, we hide so much because we're scared of it all falling apart. We run so much because we're scared of it all falling apart. Um, and, uh, and truly have not learned the, the, the power of what Frederick Buechner might call the magnificent defeat. Um, and that we would all, you know, we would all absolutely like, yes, it all falls down, but it, it's not over. It's not ending. Uh, there is continually making and being made and, Man, my heart is really, really full um, right now, <laughs> honestly. Um, so, uh, unless you had something else like really, really passionate no. to say, um, Ernst, thank you. Like, uh, yes. this is a, this and is a amen. film. Um, a lot of these What Saves Us entries have been very, very special. Uh, and the conversations that we've had, uh, Ernst, there was no way you could have known this, but the mission has been a film that has sort of sat. Uh, in my heart in many different ways in different places over a period of time and um and and the privilege to get to speak about it and to get to reflect on these things has been really profound to me so hopefully you enjoyed the conversation i really want to thank you as well again for submitting it um and listeners uh thank you for joining in with us uh do you want to go to the fog meter for the for the mission real fast and then i mean it feels uh, a bit 
yeah. it, it does, it does small. feel a bit, but. yes, it, it feels <laughs> a bit small, but just, uh, for consistency sake, let's, uh, let's go ahead and do that. Then we'll sign off. So, um, uh, fear and God, uh, are, are, are measures for these fun. fun, the fun of the mission. Um, so in the spirit of, you know, fun being frivolity and, and ease, mm-hmm. then no, this would score low, but fun being like, you know, quality of production, you know, the, the ease of watching the movie as it were. I mean, it does, it does pose some challenges, both like you have to pay attention and there's some subtleties to it and everything like that. So I think for me landing on the fun meter as a seven feels right for the mission. Um, what would you cite? Um, I do think that it's kind of production aspects, whether it's the way it's shot, the way it's scored, the way it's performed. Uh, if, if these can be construed as the, you know, <laughs> maybe misnomered fun. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think, I think seven feels appropriate and I will join you there. Okay. Um, what would you say for the God meter? Uh, I mean, it's, there's no question. It's a 10 and, and okay. not just because of things we're applying to it. I mean, I think, yeah. See, uh, it is, it stands as its own message. Mm-hmm. If that makes any sense at all. Yeah, no, uh, I, I agree. Uh, if you have any questions about why Nathan and I both just gave this 10 on the God meter, just uh, listen to the last hour of the conversation. You'll, you'll, you'll understand. Um, we give the mission directed by Roland Joffe uh, an eight and a half out of 10 on the fog meter. Very, very nice. Um, you know, we didn't do this for Princess Bride, but I guess we didn't have to. Uh, no. do, do you uh, recommend the mission? And I think we already have at some point in this conversation. I do. I think. I I actually watching it. I thought. I wonder how I'll evolve twenty years from now watching it again. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I do think it's an ears to hear kind of film. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah. absolutely. Yeah. It's, even purely from a cinematic standpoint, it's beautiful. So no, absolutely. I highly recommend this film. Uh, worth noting, and a bit of a silly note, uh, it was released in 1986 and uh, it came out on Halloween Day. <laughs> so huh. it came out on October 31st of uh, 1986. Um, but I like uh, that you said Halloween and then for a horror community clarified what date that is. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's uh, I highly recommend it. I think it's a lovely film and I'm privileged to have been able to discuss it with you, my friend. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, next week, we're going to be going to another film that has uh, it, it. There is a bit of, scheduling acumen that has to happen for this to be our next film but th- that is the plan and and foresee no uh problems making it happen so we're gonna speak it out um next week we're gonna be going to a film that is i know he starred in it and i know he won the best actor for it i cannot remember at the moment if he directed it but i think he did so i'm gonna cite that it was uh, a by a film by roberto benini it's a film called life is beautiful and um, it is a film that is uh, a- an interesting and somewhat unique take on the events of World War II, specifically the Holocaust. Um, and yet, despite that being the subject matter, it is a disarmingly lighthearted film, which was somewhat controversial mm-hmm. at the time. And we'll get into all of that uh, when we talk about it. But uh, submitted as a What Saves Us entry. I'm very excited to see that film again. Uh, it's been years Never and years since I've seen it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's called Life is Beautiful. Um, by Roberto Benini, who also stars. Um, so seek that out. Um, so uh, as we say on every episode, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And in that spirit, we encourage you to fear nothing else and be on your way rejoicing. Thank you, Nathan. 
thank you, Ernst. You're welcome, brother. Yes, thank you, thank listeners. You, um, and we will see you next week. Thanks so much again. Bye. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And you can continue the conversation in a variety of ways. Start by visiting thefearofgodpodcast.com for all the latest episodes and news, as well as for merchandise and how to contact us. You can follow us on Twitter, at The Fear of God, on Instagram, at Fear of God Podcast, or join the Facebook Fear of God discussion group. Special thanks to Jacob Hunt of jacobhuntcomics.com for our artwork, to Lee Wright and Reed Lackey for our theme music, and to Tyler Smith and MoreThanOneLesson.com for making our show possible. Lastly, be sure to subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice. And if you listen to us through iTunes, we would greatly appreciate a rating and a review. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.